That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy. Like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, a joint podcast from the China Project and Caixin Global. We bring you the most critical business and finance news from China. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast, part of the China Project. This week, Tesla and Chinese automakers signed a truce in a brutal price war. Chinese EV battery maker S-Volt breaks ground on a Thailand factory, and chemical giant BASF beefs up R&D investment in its Shanghai base. Let's jump right in. Tesla and China's top automakers pledged to maintain fair competition and avoid abnormal pricing, signaling a possible end to a price war that's rattled the Chinese market this year. Executives from 16 companies signed the pact Thursday at an industry forum in Shanghai. They include BYD, NIO, Xpeng, Geely, and Cherry Automobile. Tesla was the only foreign brand among them. Tesla started cutting prices in China last year, which prompted major local rivals to follow suit as sales of electric vehicles, or EVs, slowed early this year. The weak demand partly stemmed from the legacy of COVID and the end of a government subsidy for EV purchases. But EV sales have improved lately, with authorities expecting June's new energy vehicle sales to have surged 30% year-on-year. This has led to signs of easing in the price battle, as cuts became less aggressive. In some cases, prices were even revised upwards. Staying in the EV sector, Chinese EV battery maker S-Volt Energy said it has kicked off the construction of a factory in Thailand and expects the work to be done by the end of the year. The facility will produce battery packs for hybrid vehicles and pure EVs. It will have an estimated annual capacity of 60,000 battery packs. S-Volt's entry into Thailand follows a handful of Chinese EV makers also expanding into the Southeast Asian country in recent years. Moving on to the latest foreign investment updates. German chemical giant BASF has expanded its research and development center in China. According to a statement, the company has added two R&D buildings to its innovation campus in Shanghai. BASF is one of the world's largest chemical producers. The company has rapidly grown its presence in China, investing heavily in local R&D and production capabilities. According to the company, including partnerships, BASF has invested more than 1.3 billion euros in China. As its second largest market, 
China contributed almost 1.2 billion euros to the company's sales last year. Meanwhile, China's Commerce Ministry met with some of the world's leading drug makers to discuss their business operations as Beijing steps up efforts to lure foreign investors to revive a cooling economy. Commerce Minister Wang Wentao held a roundtable Wednesday with 12 foreign companies, including pharmaceutical giants Pfizer, Merck, and AstraZeneca, as well as medical device maker GE Healthcare Technologies. Representatives of the firms spoke about the challenges they face in China and offered advice on how to address the issues. Wang told drug makers that Beijing is committed to optimizing the business environment as it attaches great importance to attracting foreign investment. The meeting underscores China's efforts to assuage concerns that unpredictable policymaking and heightened geopolitical tensions are deterring global investors. Now turning to the data protection sector, a 25-year-old Tencent employee has been detained by police on suspicion of a large-scale hacking of his alma mater's student database, raising concerns over personal data protection once again. Earlier this month, a post on Renmin University of China's internal forum showed screenshots of an online platform that had rated its students by appearance based on their school photo. The student's personal information, including names, student IDs, registered birthplace, and date of birth, had also been collected. According to Beijing police, the suspect who set up the platform, surnamed Ma, has been detained. According to his now-deleted personal website, Ma graduated from Renmin University last year with a master's degree in computer application technology. Afterwards, he worked as an engineer at Tencent's WeChat division. Sources in the company told Caixin that he was suspended after being detained. According to Chinese law, a person who illegally provides personal information of a citizen to others can be fined and sentenced for up to seven years in prison. We'll wrap up today's business brief with the latest home sales figures, which are also related to today's interview topic. China's real estate market recovery lost momentum in the second quarter after a brief rebound in the first three months of the year. New property sales by the country's 100 biggest real estate developers fell almost 30% year-on-year in June to some 500 billion yuan, despite a low base a year earlier due to pandemic restrictions. That's according to data from consultancy CRIC. Analysts are calling for stronger supportive policies to prop up the sector in the second half, such as further easing of requirements on home purchases and mortgages in large cities. Let's turn now to Zhang Yukun, a finance reporter at Caixin Global, for that promised deeper dive into real estate this week. Hello, Yukun. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Kaiser. Um, Thanks for having me again. So today we're going to talk about China's credit demand and the problem that this demand shows us. Can you first give us an overall picture of the demand for loans in China? Sure. Uh, For credit demand, we usually look at total social financing, a central bank indicator that measures the amount of money that the real economy obtains from the financial system. China's total social financing has turned sluggish since April. If we look specifically at yuan-denominated loans, in the first quarter, monthly average new loans reached 3.6 trillion yuan, but dropped to only some 400 billion yuan in April. 
The indicator climbed to 1.2 trillion yuan in May, but that number was smaller compared to the same month last year. Now, now that we have numbers, the next question is: Who is doing the borrowing? Companies, especially state-owned enterprises or SOEs, have been the main borrowers. A banking source told Caixin that the high growth in credit at the beginning of the year can be mostly attributed to project loans, such as financing for projects started by the government, SOEs, or big companies, and very little was handed out to small and mid-sized companies in the private sector. I see. Is there a problem in having SOEs driving credit demand? Yes, when SOEs are the main borrowers and investors, the economy gets less bang for its buck. Academic research indicates that SOEs are less efficient than private companies in terms of management and investment, and their returns on capital is lower, partly because they're not wholly driven by profits or shareholder returns. So loans have been going more to SOEs than to small private businesses. What about households? Are they borrowing more or less? So the numbers show that new household credit. Increased in February and March on a year-on-year basis, but fell in April before resuming growth in May. At the end of March, outstanding personal business loans were almost 20 percent higher than a year earlier, outpacing lending for consumption and housing. Some analysts have said that these figures suggest that households had a low appetite for risk. They said that the drop in the share of medium and long-term loans in total household loans, and the increase in the share of personal business loans, indicate that individuals were taking out short-term loans to repay their mortgages early. What's holding back credit demand from households and private sector companies then? The slump in the housing market and low expectations about future income have dented confidence and made individual borrowers risk-averse. When it comes to household consumption. Low and middle-income groups, who are the key to boosting consumption, saw their incomes deteriorate during the pandemic, and they still haven't seen any obvious improvement. That's according to Liu Yuanchun, president of Shanghai University of Finance and Economics. In addition, private sector companies are mostly still recovering from the impact of the pandemic, so they have little enthusiasm to increase investment. Instead, some businesses have been using new borrowings to pay back debts and improve their financial strength. What measures can the government take to encourage borrowing and investment? Rather than further loosening monetary policy through measures such as cutting lending rates or relying on short-term stimu- stimulus, researchers said that the government needs to solve deep-rooted problems such as limited access to housing and education for low- to middle-income groups to encourage them to consume. They said that the central government should also implement policies to provide a fair business environment for the private sector, so that private firms don't face unfair treatment in their day-to-day operations. All right, thank you so much for all that analysis and that information. Now, if our listeners are interested in more detail of the story, please head on over to ChaiSinGlobal.com. Thanks again, Yuquan. Thank you.、Um, hope to talk to you next time. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief was produced by Kaiser Guo and by Zhang Ziyu, Du Bohan, and Jonathan Breen at Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts on the Seneca Network, like the amazing China in Africa podcast and the China Global South podcast. 
And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to Access from the China Project. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.